number of years ago in Dallas, Martha was singing in the choir, and of course, regularly, and a good friend of hers named Lois Waldy, and a good friend of ours, but she was also in the choir, and she and Martha talked regularly, and Lois worked at the Baptist bookstore in Dallas. And she told Martha one evening, one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard, about a lady who came into the bookstore and wanted to get a, a little New Testament to put in the hand of her mother who had died and was being buried. Now, now pardon me for smiling. I'm not smiling about the, about the woman dying or the sadness of the event, but I know the end of the story, and so I'm trying to wipe the smile off my face. She said, you know, I just, she was such a devoted Christian woman, I just think it would be nice for her to be buried with a, with a beautiful white New Testament in her hand. And Lois said, surely that's a very appropriate, thoughtful thing to do. So she brought out some Bibles and showed them to her, and she picked one of those, looked at one of those small white Bibles, like sometimes it's carried in a wedding or whatever, you know. She looked at it, and Lois said, I think this would be an appropriate one uh, for such an occasion. And the lady picked it up and looked at it and said, oh, yes, and yes, it is beautiful. That'd be just right. And she opened it up and looked inside, and she said, oh, uh, I'm sorry, but the print's much too small. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I get... Look, that's what I want to talk about this morning. If you wait till then to read the small print, it's too late, my friend. I mean, it is too late, and you've got poor light. So I, so I think it's better that we read the small print now, right? That we get, that we get the word. And Jesus is trying to give us the word. And uh, we sometimes have a hard time hearing it because we filter it. It's just normal, but we filter it through so much uh, cultural overlaying. We filter it, and that's okay. We are who we are because of where we've been and uh, who's had influences upon us. And so we hear everything through the filter of our own sociological, psychological conditioning. So sometimes it's hard to really hear what Jesus is saying, and I want to really hear it. The small print, I want to come through because it's big print as far as life is concerned. So Jesus was preaching a sermon. You read it in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. They had a huge crowd. This was along toward the latter part of his ministry. He was moving toward that dramatic conclusion of crucifixion and resurrection. And so he's really, at this point in his ministry, if you're aware at all of the timing in his life, you, you see that he is really concentrating on things that are important for people to hear. He's getting down to the small print of the reality of this truth and its application to my life and to yours. Now, it says that there's so many people crowding around him, so many thousands of people had gathered that they were trampling on one another to get to hear him. 
Jesus began to speak, and it's a marvelous message that he lays out in a few sentences here. He touches on four or five very important things. He First of all, he says, now, folks, be, be careful. Be careful. Watch out for these Pharisees. The, the, the leaven, the yeast of the Pharisee. Be careful about hypocrisy. Be sensitive to hypocrites. Now, hypocrites different from, a, from imperfection. We, we've talked about that. All of us are imperfect. A hypocrite is somebody that play acts. That's what the word means. They're playing at this thing. They've got, they've got the hands of Esau, but the voice of Jacob. They say one thing and they do another. It's an act. Jesus said, be real. Be real. Be careful about those who are artificial hypocrites. And then he also says, now friends, I want to tell you something. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of those who might kill the body. There's some things worse than losing your physical health. You can lose your soul. I'm concerned about saving your soul. Your soul is everlasting. Your body's not going to last forever anyway. And I have come to save your soul, that eternal part of you that will outlast the stars, that will be alive a million years from now. So don't be primarily concerned, properly concerned, yes, but not primarily concerned about health, physical health. Be primarily concerned about your spiritual health. Don't be afraid of those who can kill the body, but those who can steal your soul. You can lose your soul. And then he says, don't be afraid of being taken care of. He said, these little sparrows that fly around out here, I don't forget them. You think that if I don't forget the little sparrows that I'm going to forget you? Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Yeah, life has its pressures, its tensions. It's exigencies, it's unpredictable events. But look, if I take care of the little sparrows, don't you believe I can take care of you? My, what a mark. Don't worry, he said. Don't worry about that. He said, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. That's just a, a way of saying it's a marvelous metaphor of saying, I am specifically, meticulously interested in you and everything about you. Not just you in general, but you in particular. That's how much I care about you. And then he says, I tell you, you really need to take your stand beside me. Whoever acknowledges me before man, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him. I want to be on your side. You be on my side. You put your faith and trust in me, and I will be with you. I will be with you. There's no substitute for accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to just acknowledge that he's a great teacher. That's not enough. To acknowledge that he was a good man, not enough. 
to acknowledge the fact that he had marvelous philosophical insights into life. That's not enough. Jesus did not come to be admired. He came to be trusted. He came to be worshipped. He didn't come primarily to teach us something. He came primarily to make us something. Sons of God. And that's a choice that's up to each and every one of you, each and every one of us. Trust me, he said, and I'll be with you. I'll stand beside you in life and in death and eternity, and I'll never leave you and never forsake you. Just put your faith and your trust in me. So when you get into trouble, when pressures come, this is his next point, when you are brought before synagogues and rulers and authorities, in other words, when you begin to run up against powers, concentrated powers, religious and political, that you seem so helpless. Listen, I'll tell you what to say, and I will be with you there. You are not powerless if you've got me on your side. When you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry. Don't worry about how you will defend yourself. We understand sometimes how defenseless we are in the face of concentrated authority out there in the political or economic or social world. He said, look, I'll tell you what to say, and I will stand by you, and I will be with you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. My Spirit will be with you and help you to know how to deal with all of those extenuating circumstances that uh, come into your life. And suddenly, a man interrupts him. Now, I've been interrupted when preaching. Been interrupted here in this service at times, years past. I was in, I've been interrupted preaching in revival meetings, preaching in a stadium in East Texas once, a baseball stadium, outdoor meeting. I was preaching along there, and a guy that was seated out there about second base, I was up there around home base, that's where the platform was, guy stood up right in the middle of the sermon, and he said, Preacher! I said, Yes, sir. He said, What about the Scripture? So on, so on, so on, so we quote the Scripture. I said, That's good. Thank you. Wonderful. He sat down, and we went on. Well, this guy interrupted Jesus right in the middle of his sermon. And he said to him, he said to Jesus, someone in the crowd said to him, hey, teacher, well, you know, thousands were there. I can guarantee you when I got interrupted here in church two or three times, you just think it's still right now. It gets real still. We're not accustomed to that. It frightens us a little bit. And uh, you just kind of relax and roll with the situation. This guy stood up and yelled, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I mean, totally unrelated to what Jesus was talking about. Here he was preaching about faith and comfort and strength and courage, and this guy stands up and says, Hey, Jesus, Teacher, I want you, because you have authority and power, I want you to tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus made a very sharp 
reply to that man? Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you and your brother? talk about that for a minute. It reminds me in a way of a story I heard about a couple of brothers and they came in there were two pieces of pie left there on the table and one brother said to the other one said uh, take whichever piece you want and the other one said no no you go first. And they debated there for a few minutes about who was going to go first and finally one brother reached down and he took the larger piece of pie and the other brother was incensed. He said look you're the most selfish guy I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I give you the first choice, and you are so greedy. You took the large piece of pie and left me the small one. You're not a good Christian. And the other brother said, oh, okay. If you'd had first choice, which piece would you have taken? He said, well... I was taking the smaller piece. The guy said, well, what are you griping about? That's what you got. <laughs> well, I don't know that that story applies exactly to this, but what Jesus, what Jesus is disclaiming here, he is saying, interestingly enough, the litigious society didn't begin within the last 15 or 20 years. Here was this man coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, I want you to use your influence and your force to get me what I want. I want you to use coercion to make my brother divide the inheritance with me. Well, it's obvious that both of the brothers were pretty greedy. Both of them were greedy. But one wanted to get Jesus to use his influence, his force, to get what he wanted. My friend, Jesus has not come to do that. Jesus has not come to be used by us to accomplish our selfish desires. In these political times, every now and then we hear people try to put Jesus on their ticket. Friend, Jesus is not on anybody's ticket. He's not on the Democratic ticket. He's not on the Republican ticket. He's not on the libertarian ticket. He is the ticket. And he refuses to use coercion to get people to do what they want done. Baptists have been courageous thousands of them to the point of giving their own life to resist the use of force 
to make people believe or even behave the way some people want them to believe. Coercion Jesus never used. He appealed, he pled, he instructed, he inspired, he never forced. Never. Like the mother who took her little daughter to the circus and the little girl was frightened by all the strange sights and sounds and she started to cry. And the mother took her and shook her and said, you straighten up, you have a good time or I'm going to take you out of here and spank you. You have a good time. You do what I want you to do whether it's what you want to do or how you feel or not. Coercion is never to be a part of the work of the kingdom of God. Let me mention an idea. You just stick it back there and think about it for a moment. The far right politically and religiously, and the far left politically and religiously are more alike than they realize. They have a different agenda, but they both employ the same philosophy of action. Both the far left and the far right want the government to do what they perceive to be the will of God. And here we Baptists are in the middle saying, wait a minute, we do not want church and state combined. We want to speak to the state when appropriate, for the state when appropriate. We never want to speak as the state. And the apostle Paul went around the Roman Empire of the first century not trying to get people elected to the Roman Senate, but trying to win people to Jesus Christ. Granted, you could not elect people to the Roman Senate. But what Paul was endeavoring to do was not trying to make Rome Christian, but to make Romans Christians. That's the way Jesus said, you change society by changing individuals, their attitudes, their hearts, their priorities, their values, their life. And that's the way you change the world. Oh, in about 300, a Roman emperor came along and claimed to be a Christian, and he was going, therefore, to force everybody to be a Christian. He united the church and the state, and we went into a thousand years of dark ages. He refuses to use coercion. 
This man was greedy. And Jesus changed his sermon and picked up on what that man had said and used an illustration. Then he said to the crowd after the man spoke, he said, folks, watch out. Saying the same thing does. Watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. That's Jesus talking. Small print, but red letter stuff. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Greed for money, greed for prestige, greed for power, personal or political. Watch out, he said, for that. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See, the problem was not the man's desire to be successful. Poverty is not a virtue. Wealth is not a vice. Jesus was saying, watch out, though, that you don't fall into greed. And then he told this story. The ground of a certain man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. God called him a fool. I mean, he could have been one of the Fortune 500 by modern standards. And God said, you're a fool. And this very night, your soul will be demanded from you. You lose your soul. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Then who will get it? Two men attending the funeral of a wealthy friend. One asked the other, how much did he leave? His friend said, everything. Everything. I don't know whether you noticed it or not. Let me point it out to you. Twelve times in this little parable, the man uses I, me, or my. He didn't have any thought for others, no thought for God, only himself. Twelve times I. He had an eye problem. Couldn't see anything but himself. Not others, not God. Kind of a strange story, but heard about a director of development for a Christian institution, college, that went to see a man who had a lot of money. I wanted to talk to him about giving to this Christian school. The man said, you don't understand my situation. He said, uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. 
that my wife is an invalid, requires 24 hours of care, terribly expensive. That I have a brother that was hurt in an accident, and he is in a special home, needs special care 24 hours a day. I have a sister who was born with a physical problem and always needed a lot of help and a lot of special care and treatment and equipment. So I have a son. This has been terrible expense, problem, difficulty all sorts of things wrong in his life. Well, the director of development began to feel badly that he'd even gone to talk to a man about giving to a Christian school. Then the wealthy man said, look, I don't give anything to any of them. I don't know why I ought to give something to you. <laughs> you say, well, that's just, a, that's just a story. That's not true. And this story of Jesus is just kind of an exaggeration. It's hyperbole. You, normally, I don't read the Sunday morning paper on Sunday. I read Sunday afternoon. But this morning, I had a little extra time, so I picked it up and looked at it. And I don't know whether you read or not uh, about the deadbeat dad. Man gave uh, $500,000 to George Bush campaign for president. His picture got put in the paper seated at the table with the president. Law enforcement officials were looking for him. They arrested him at the Salt Lake City Airport because he owes $100,000 in child support payments. Two daughters, one 12, the other 13, $350 each. He hadn't given them anything for 10 years. Gives half a million dollars to a political candidate. Now, that's not George Bush's problem, and he might have given it to Governor Clinton or to anybody else. That's not the issue. And you can do anything you want to with your money. Give it to anybody that you want to support. That's fine. What troubled me about this is that somewhere along the line in the last 10 years, this fellow never heard about family values. I wonder what God would call him. You fool, he said. Tonight, You've lost your soul. You don't have to die to lose your soul. Adam and Eve lost their soul. They didn't die. They were very much alive. They didn't even know what death was until they saw the animals being killed to provide clothing for them. They didn't know what death was until they had the, held their dead son in their arms. The result of a murder created because of their disobedience to God. You see, you can lose your soul long before you die. If you live for the big eye, you die. You fool. This very night, your life, your soul will be required of you. Then who will get what you have prepared? 
This is how it will be. That's just Jesus. This is small print. Hear it and read it now before we get down to the end when we can't read and can't hear. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Now, I must tell you that this scripture of Jesus convicts me and speaks to me, and it needs to speak to me and to us. This guy missed a sermon that was filled with three, thou shalt not be afraid, and five, thou shalt not worry, from the lips of Jesus, all because he was so consumed with himself. Jesus said, seek my kingdom first, put Christ first, others first, self third, put me first, and all these other things will be added unto you. Jesus is saying, put your priorities right and your pleasures will follow. Get your priorities right. And then pleasures will come. The good things will come. They'll not come if you get it backwards. You, were, you realize, of course, the word evil is just the word live spelled backwards. That's what evil is, just life being spelled backwards. Putting ourselves first and God last, that puts it backwards. That's evil. Put God first. Others, self. Some of us grew up when we used to go to training union. I regret that we still don't have training union reason I regret it is because a lot of people learned about who Baptists are and where we came from, what we believed in training union. We learned how to talk and learned how to get up and explain our views. It was a, I regret the fact that we don't have it anymore. But I can remember where I grew up, we had a J-O-Y training union. How many of you grew up with a joy training union in your church? Anybody? A lot of you. J-O-Y. Do you remember what that stood for? Sure you did. Jesus first, others second, yourself third. J-O-Y. I can't even pronounce it backwards. I don't know what it spells. It spells confusion. It spells the loss of soul. Jesus said, if you have ears to hear what I'm saying, hear it. Seek first the kingdom of God, the only kingdom that will last. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, other people, and all of these other things will be added unto you. Will you do that? Do that today, beginning today to confess him. Begin today to trust him. Begin today to follow him. Begin today to put him first. To come in recommitment, rededication, reaffirmation, renewal, coming to prayer. Whatever God's Spirit impresses you to do. I'll be right here to greet you. Today is the day. Now is the time. Your soul 
My soul is in our hands. Trust him or trust ourselves. One is life, the other is death. Choose life. Choose Christ. Let's stand and sing. I'm like